Rewind of the Living Dead is brought to you by Germ Death Hand Sanitizer, the only hand sanitizer with 66.6% ethyl alcohol. Kills 99% of germs and smells good doing it. I use it. Damon uses it. Rewind the Living Dead fans should use it too. So go to germdeath.com and Facebook and Instagram at germdeath. Rewind the Living Dead is also brought to you by reanimatedrecords.com. They've got vinyl, they've got DVDs, they've got VHS, they've got all of that good stuff, all the fun stuff that people that listen to Rewind of the Living Dead would like, you can get over at reanimatedrecords.com. Fair warning, Rewind of the Living Dead is a review show, so spoilers are ahead. In 1981, 19-year-old Arnie Cheyenne Johnson was arrested and charged with the murder of his landlord after stabbing the man numerous times with a 5-inch blade from his pocket knife. A media circus soon followed the sensational murder thanks to the attention brought on the case by famed demonologists Ed and Lorraine Warren after they reportedly conducted an exorcism on a young boy that resulted in the spirit inhabiting the child and transferring to Arnie. In court, Arnie attempted to claim he was not guilty by reason of demonic possession. It was the first time a person had made that claim in the history of the American court system. While Johnson was eventually found guilty of manslaughter before spending five years in prison, the story fascinated people from around the world and books as well as films were produced about the terrifying incident. Over 30 years later, the highly publicized trial and the involvement by the Warrens served as the basis for the latest film in the growing Conjuring universe. While series architect James Wan was unable to direct, he passed those duties along to his hand-chosen successor in Michael Chaves, the same man who had directed the Conjuring spinoff, The Curse of La Llorona. Filming took place in 2019, but due to the global pandemic, the movie wasn't actually released until 2021. In the latest episode of Rewind of the Living Dead, we're going to search for totems and tell the judges that we're both possessed as we review the new film, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Dead. I am Damon Martin. And I'm Patrick Guerra. And Patrick, the plethora of new films continues this week with the new movie, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. And uh, I got to say, this lineup of new films lately has been really enjoyable. You know, overall, uh, while we did, you know, we, we didn't give the greatest review to Spiral, which kind of started the, the, the trend. And Army of the Dead was, was great. Uh, and then A Quiet Place 2 was great. And uh, closing things out for the fourth week of new films in a row, uh, we have The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. And not to destroy our podcast by giving away spoilers in the very first few minutes, but I really enjoyed this movie. I'm getting spoiled because, I mean, doing new movies every week is kind of new for us. I mean, <laughs> we started this podcast during the pandemic so we were just kind of reviewing older films by the way it, we have a ton of older films or just pre films that aren't brand new in the cachet 
hot and ready for you guys too that are just sitting there waiting and uh and i can't wait to drop all those but truth be told i'm really loving just going to the movie theater uh or if you can't go to the movie theater this is on hbo max but it's a brand spanking new movie the conjuring the devil made me do it the third in the conjuring series and uh you know like damon and i are rather new to The Conjuring, which is kind of weird. Uh, most horror fans like love it and and are 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 steeped in the entire franchise. Damon and I sort of never gave it a shot when it came out. Uh, we reviewed The Conjuring. You guys heard that episode. It, it just came out right before this one. Um, I, I I ended up watching The Conjuring two just to check it out, and I actually ended up liking it better than I liked the first one. And here we are tonight talking about number three, The Devil Made Me Do It. And I'm telling you right now. When you add the devil, this weirdo metalhead born in the 1980s is all in. And I think I think this is my favorite conjuring in the series. Yeah, it, it was really good. And I'll, I'll agree with you. You know, obviously, again, I had not I was not a conjuring fan, not for any real reason. I just never saw the original. And then, you know, all the spinoffs started coming, you know, in rapid fire format, you know, we, we kind of one after the other and I just never caught up and I just never got interested enough to go back. Obviously now that I, that I host a, <laughs> a horror movie podcast, it kind of made sense to go back and check out one of the most popular horror franchises of the last decade. Uh, and overall I've enjoyed it. The first conjuring was solid. It wasn't my favorite film, but it was solid. I definitely like The Conjuring 2 better. I think that was a better overall movie, better scares, better story, uh, better conclusion. The entire thing I thought was really, really well done. Uh, I really enjoyed part two. And then part three was interesting because it kind of, it once again kind of changed the franchise and then kind of turned things on its head because it wasn't really, a, it wasn't a haunted house story. Uh, you know, it wasn't that kind of story at all. And so, and, and obviously it was a highly publicized court case uh, where a guy actually tried to claim demonic possession, you know, not guilty by reason of demonic possession. While that obviously was thrown out, he actually didn't get to claim that whatsoever. Uh, but it was interesting, and, and like I said, it's a you know based on a real case. Now, to be to be truthful here, you know, when you see the whole based on a true story thing, I would say about. 95% of this film is fictional. Uh, no offense to Ed and Lorraine Warren's memory, but I, you know, judging by what happens in this movie, based on what I've read on the real case of Arnie Cheyenne Johnson, uh, this was pretty far from reality in terms of what this movie was centered around, but that doesn't make it any less fun. Uh, the movie is really enjoyable and, and really at the heart of it all, one thing that you and I both agreed on with the first Conjuring movie, which is my favorite part of the original Conjuring, no offense to the Perrin family, was that uh, was Ed and Lorraine. Ed and Lorraine warned the investigation when they actually showed up to actually do their part in helping this family that was being tormented by a haunted house. That's when the movie got good to me. And then obviously they play a, a bigger role in part two. They're kind of there all the way throughout, although they don't really get to England until later, which is where that movie primarily takes place. Uh, but again, they're kind of the, the centerpiece along with the family for the entire movie. And then the third one, The Devil Made Me Do It, the Warrens are center stage the entire time. It really does uh, revolve mostly around them and their investigation into this demonic possession that led to the murder in the film. Uh, and that, again, that appeased me very much because Ed and Lorraine Warren, being Patrick Wilson and, and Vera Farmiga, have been by far my favorite parts of these movies. 
No, absolutely. And I don't want to claim that I'm a clairvoyant, but in our review of The Conjuring, that's what my rewrite of The Living Dead was. I said, give me a film where the perspective is heavily uh, leaning towards the Warrens themselves and and make it a case that they are like, I want to go through the investigation with the Warrens. That's what The Conjuring 3 is uh, without without uh, spoiling anything at this point. You know, but the, the case is a public case. So th there's a lot of things that people out there can look up and, and learn about. But yeah, I mean, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga are fantastic actors. I've really grown attached to their characters after watching uh, Conjuring 2. And then with this one, I think the story is focused very much on their relationship and kind of how they've how they've evolved through uh, through through the, their their paranormal research and their and their participation in 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 all this paranormal stuff. Um the, when you when you bring the focus towards them, all of a sudden I have a movie that I like. It doesn't mean it's the better movie or the better version of The Conjuring. It's the version of The Conjuring I wanted to see. So that's why I think I put it top of my list. Um, also, too, interestingly enough, this is the first Conjuring not directed by James Wan. Now, uh, truth be told, I think James Wan's a great director. He's got a very distinct style. Um, but I think what was what has was been bugging me with the franchise was that his his camera language and horror to me don't intersect in a way that I find enjoyable. I think a lot of people probably do find it enjoyable. For me, it was it, it almost felt like it was too rapid fire, it was too high pace, and it and it left a lot of the dread on the table because it was just kind of coming at you, coming at you, coming at you constantly, and the camera's always moving in a in a big in big swooping ways. And this one was not directed by James Wan. Now, now it's executive produced by him. He's he's in charge of the uh, story and a, a lot of the development of the of the project. But Michael Chaves is the one directing. Chaves kind of did his own thing, and it, and it was a little more classically horror, horror like a horror movie. The camera was a, a little more still. It still had a lot of movement. I think it still it still maintained a lot of the the overall language of the Conjuring series, but it it felt a little more like a horror film and less like this kind of swooping action horror thing that James Wan does, which is cool in its own right. But in the, but this to me felt a little more traditional and I felt a little more dread. Also, uh, it, it, you know, the, the, the evil doesn't jump right out at you. In the first two conjurings, you're pretty much with the possession. You're with the ghost or the ghoul a lot of the time. You know them, you see their faces very clearly. Um, I thought the, the nun in the conjuring two was pretty damn scary, but, but then you get into, um, I think his name is Will, William or Bill or whatever, who's the, who's the ghoul in the house that's doing all the haunting. You know, you, once you get to know your ghoul and his name is Bill, it's less scary. <laughs> uh, and, and in the conjuring three, there's a lot more mystery. I mean, it literally is. They're trying to figure out what it is that is causing all of this stuff. They don't know. They, it takes them a long time to get to know those things. And to me, that, you know, in its own way, shape and form, creates that sense of dread that I was looking for in the Conjuring series.
it's funny you say that because I would agree with you on all of those counts in terms of the way the, the film was shot, the cinematography, in terms of the action beats, in terms of the lingering kind of dread and, and, and horror and tension. I would agree with you on all those parts. The one thing I will say that I, I'm not disagreeing necessarily, but that I found kind of odd is I would say, and again, I'm not saying The Conjuring terrified me, and I wouldn't say The Conjuring 2 terrified me, although I thought Conjuring 2 was definitely scarier than The Conjuring yeah. 1. There were definitely scarier beats, and I think the nun, Valak, is, is definitely the scarier villain, uh, the scariest of all the villains, if I'm being honest. I actually yeah. found The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, the least scary of them all, but that's not to say it's not scary in a different way. Right. It's not the traditional horror, jump scare, kind of, oh, you're jolt, you kind of scare, there's a lot of that in the first two movies and listen that's fine i, I mean that's the classic you know that's the classic horror scare is the jump scare the jolt you the, the kind of catch you off guard scare uh there wasn't a lot of that here but there was a lot more tension a lot more mystery a lot more investigation and, and when you again i there was a very like true detective vibe to it and listen i, I think i've said it on the show before and and you know i'll say it again now true detective season one is probably one of my favorite single seasons of television in the history I've rewatched it like nine times uh, I love that show I love the occult of that show I love the creepiness factor of that, of that show and a lot of that kind of played into The Devil Made Me Do It it wasn't traditionally scary in that sense and I would say in that way this is the least scary of the Conjuring films if that's the kind of movie you're looking for that being said the tension with the investigation and the kind of creepiness factor that kind of swirls around in the mist of this movie is really better and, and, and it's and it's well laid because there's a mystery at the heart of it when there's a mystery in a film like this there's always that underlying sense of tension because you don't know where the bad is coming from where the evil is coming from and while we know there is evil in this movie we don't know exactly why or how or or where it's coming from it's not as simple as we're in a haunted house this is not a haunted house movie it is a possession movie, but not in the traditional sense of possession movie. Isn't Reagan on the bed with her head spinning around and spitting, you know, a pea soup at us? It is a different kind of, of possession because you're not really sure where the possession is coming from, how the possession happened. Uh, and I'm not giving away spoilers. This is all things that you can see in the trailer. Uh, it's interesting because it's not traditional. And that's what I liked about this movie is they kind of went in a different direction. Even though, again, I would say it's the least scary of the Conjuring movies based on what the Conjuring is known for. When you're, um, I wouldn't say, I mean, we always call ourselves jaded horror fans, but really we're desensitized. Uh, you know, when, when you're desensitized like Damon and I, and I know a lot of people who listen to this are, and who they watch horror constantly. So it's like, you can't really scare me these days. What The Conjuring 3 provides is a sense of unknowing. So the first two Conjuring films, you almost spend, I'd say the first half to the first two thirds of the film being haunted and getting to know your ghouls and getting to know the family being haunted before the the Warrens step in and kind of save the day before things get so dire that uh, these experts need to come in and fix it but you know everything by the time they show up so there's no sense of mystery there's no sense of unknown you know everything that's been my biggest rub with the conjuring series well I was like well I'm not scared because I don't you know I I know everything already I know that I know the ghoul's name his name is Bill nice guy um but this movie, there's a lot of unknowns. 
And there's there's other elements. There's other subplots to this film as well, too, which we'll probably get into a little bit more in our spoiler section. But there are subplots that are are kind of unknowns, like what is going to happen with this character? This character in particular seems to be in danger on a different level. So for when for when you're jaded or desensitized like myself and Damon, just the just the um, presence of unknown factors, unknown elements allows for the dread. Like it, it's it's not the same kind of scary, and you could I would I would say the Conjuring Two is probably the scariest of the three because the nun. Shout out to um to Bonnie. Oh geez, I'm gonna, I'm gonna forget her last name, but um, who plays the nun? That's a terrifying piece of art that they created for that movie. Um, but the 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 scare factors are stronger in those films because you spend more time, you know, having scares thrown at you. But but the uh, I see and then know everything. And in this, I didn't know a lot until the very end. Like I was kind of, like I, I was it, it was very true detective, right? Like you're going through the season not knowing who the killers are, who the who the yellow king is and all that stuff. So you're like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? It, and it just keeps building and building and building to this point. That's tension. That's dread. That's that. That's the stuff that will get under my skin as a desensitized horror fan. And um, this movie has it in spades. Yeah, it really does. It really does. And they they do a really good job in all sense of this movie because again, this is a this is based on a true story. And as I said, I would I would estimate about ninety five percent of what we're seeing is fictionalized, and that's fine. Again, that's sure. a lot of based on the true stories uh you see on television a lot of times or movies. Um, but what I like about this is because the reason, and part of the reason they do that, A, is because you can look up the court case. You can, you know, you can, it takes you two seconds to type in Arnie Johnson's name and it pops up on Wikipedia and you can find out what happened to the guy and you can find out like how quickly the judge shot down his, his claim of demonic possession because there's no way it can be proved. Uh, so yeah, I mean, listen, that's not hard to find. And there's a million articles out there right now. People like, what are the real case of Arnie Johnson? It's out there. It's easy to find. And so you you can see the results of the trial. You know what happened. Uh, you know the Warrens were really involved. That's all true. And then obviously what happened to Arnie Johnson, the, the murder, and then leading into his trial, like that all happened. So what I like about that is, is they don't spend that much time. You don't go to trial in this movie. You're not sitting there in a courtroom, you know, trying to prove it because again, you can see online and it takes you two seconds to find out they wouldn't allow it. Like they wouldn't allow that to be part of the court case uh, because they couldn't prove it. And so, uh, it's interesting the investigation and the way that this film takes a, a kind of a left turn into this investigation and kind of trying to figure out the who done it of this. Even though we know who done the murder, we know it's Arnie. He killed his landlord, and uh, you know, in this movie. And again, that's easy to look up on the internet. That's not a spoiler. That's literally typing in his name on Google, and you'll find that out. Uh, but what I liked about this is, is they kind of took this in a different direction in terms of what actually happened, what led to the demonic possession, what what was what was the underlying you know uh, what was the under factors to it and that part of it and we go back to the first conjuring and you can listen to the episode that we just dropped before this one when i said my favorite part of the movie was the investigation when the warren showed up and they started looking into this house you start learning about bethesda and all the different things going on with that house and the witch and everything i was that's when it got fascinating to me it was fun it was interesting it was different um 
And this film is very much that. It is very much the the Warrens investigating this murder, helping the police, and and trying to figure out what led to this. What led to Arnie killing his landlord, not necessarily spending the entire time in a courtroom and you know talking about you know, debating right. witnesses and things like that. Now, there's a version of this movie where you could do that, and 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 if they actually allowed him to claim demonic possession, it would probably be pretty fascinating. I got to be honest, but they didn't. And and they didn't try to take that turn in the movie to say, oh, we're going to put this on trial and pretend that he was able to claim demonic possession because he wasn't. He couldn't and they didn't. Uh, that's easily, again, easily proven. You can look it up on, on the Internet and know that it didn't happen. So the fact that they didn't go that fictionalized route is interesting. Now, if that had actually happened, yes, I'd be fascinated. It'd be really interesting to see, you know, prosecutors yeah. and defense attorneys, you know, cross-examine priests on the stand or something like that would be fascinating to me. But they wouldn't allow it. They would not. They would not allow that to happen. So they didn't try to take that route. And I appreciate that because. There obviously, while there's a lot of fiction in this movie, uh, they didn't they didn't take it that direction. I, I appreciate that because again, while that would be fascinating, uh, they took it in another direction, and I really enjoyed the investigation part of this because they weren't getting bogged down into the court stuff, into the into the lawyer stuff. And again, I love those movies. Yeah, I just that'd watched, be a different movie. Yeah, I just watched Primal Fear again the other night. You seen Primal Fear, the Richard Gere, Edward Norton movie? You know what I'm talking about. I feel like that was on TV the other night. It was. It was on TV the other night. Okay, that's right. was probably. I probably took a peek at it. I've like probably seen it like you know in passing. I so, haven't really like dived into that movie. Fantastic movie with an even better ending. Okay, let me just put it that way. I'm not gonna ruin the ending for you, but the ending is fantastic. But it's a good. It's a courtroom drama. It's ultimately a courtroom drama. Now, I like those movies. I enjoy you know, a few good men, and I like good courtroom movies. I absolutely do. Those are always exorcism of Emily Rose was yeah. a great courtroom drama that had horror elements. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Perfect example of that. Uh, in horror. Exactly. And, and and again, there's a version of this movie you could make and do that. But that's not what actually happened here. So they didn't take it in that direction. And then when they take the Warrens out of there, and then at that point, they're trying to find out what happened to Arnie. What led to Arnie and what actually led to this entire family dealing with this possession and that in and of itself was fascinating because then it became kind of a detective mystery it became true detective it became like why did this happen how did this happen who did it happen to and listen i'm a journalist by trade that's my day job i'm a writer i'm a journalist i get fascinated by the why by the how by the what you know like that kind of stuff is is, is kind yeah. of my bread and butter and so i enjoy that kind of stuff and so as i said the thing that really enthralled me about the first conjuring was when the Warren showed up and did the investigation, this film is 90% of that. And that's why, that's a big part of why I enjoyed it. Even though as a, I, I go back to my original statement about the scare, while there are, there are terrifying elements of this movie in the traditional sense, this is the least scary of the three conjuring movies. If that's what you're looking for. That being said, there's a lot of underlying tension and creepiness and, and dread. I know we love that word on this podcast, dread. There's a lot more of that in this film than just the traditional, oh, a ghost is around the corner. And, uh, and without getting into spoilers yet, um, basically, uh, the, the Warrens, you know, they, they have kind of their own subplot. They're, they're in their own kind of danger in this film. And what I liked about that is that if you're a big fan of the first two Conjuring movies, at, at, at this point, you, you've grown really attached to the Warrens. 
And I feel like the stakes are the highest they've ever been in any of these movies for the Warrens. And, uh, and, and so that adds another element and it's a different thing, right? It's not, it's not like traditionally horror, but you're just like, you know, you're, you're on the edge of your seat in regards to what's going on with them. Um, so it just, it adds that extra, uh, layer. It, it's, it's more, it's almost like a thriller. Like, I think, I think there's more thriller elements and thriller, I think is fair to say is a, is a subgenre of horror is it's own, its own level of horror. Um, so, but the thriller elements in this movie are very high. You, you, uh, I, you know, I was thrilled. I was engaged. I really wanted to know what was going to happen next. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, to me, it, it fired on all cylinders. I'm curious to see what the bigger reaction is. You know, maybe I'll jump on Clubhouse in the next couple of days and get people's reactions as they as as all the 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 horror club on there is very vocal about how they feel about films and stuff like that. So I'm curious to see what the horror community feels about this because it's a departure from the other two and not in in my opinion not in a bad way. And by the way, it opens up with some fantastic like typical conjuring stuff that I think is great and ups the ante and um, makes things really fun and exciting. Like you get all the things like don't take what Damon and I are talking about as like you don't get any horror element, horror elements. You get a lot of horror elements, actually. Um, it's just it's just told differently than the other two films. Yeah, it's funny. I get the feeling that when it's all said and done, this is going to be the conjuring film that splits the audience the most. And and I know that's yeah. a, I know that's a I know that's tough to say without, you know, obviously we're gauging in our own personal opinions, but that's ultimately what we're always doing is gauging in our own personal opinions. And I would say that knowing that this is a departure from the traditional sense of the first two conjuring films, that I think a lot of people are going to be on the other side to say they didn't like that because they liked the haunted house stories. That being said, and again, a lot of times I like to gauge the, 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 the overall creepiness of a movie by my girlfriend's reaction, because she is very much not a traditional horror fan. She is, you know, she's, or I, I should say she's a traditional horror fan. She is not, you know, deep diving onto Satan's slaves with me. Uh, but she will watch <laughs> the conjuring and sinister and films like that. And she really liked this one. And she really liked the first two conjurings too. So, I'm hoping that is the sense we get from more of the you know the fans of the first two because this is truly a departure from the first two movies. As you said, there are 100% those elements, especially early in the film, and there are you know it's it's scattered throughout. Don't get me wrong, yeah. there are elements of that, but again, this is not a haunted house story. This is not a ghost in a house. You know, that kind of thing, which, again, those those shows, those movies are fine, but this takes that out of that. This is not that. This is an investigation into a murder by demonic possession. Uh, and so that's an interesting twist. And as I said, I feel like this is going to split the audience. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to agree with us and say that the investigation, the, the, the kind of looking into the possession, the, the you know trying to find out who's doing this, why it's happening, all that is going to be fascinating and people are going to enjoy it. But you're going to get another crowd. I guarantee you there's going to be another base of this audience, Patrick, who are going to say, I wanted the haunted house. I wanted the nun. Mm -hmm. I wanted Annabelle. I wanted that. And I didn't get it in this film. And you know what? But that's okay. I'm not saying anyone is right or wrong, but I do get the feeling when it's all said and done, the conjuring the devil made me do it is going to be the most polarizing in the series. I think that's a totally fair take because it is so much different than the other two films. I think the other two films are very similar. They're interchangeable, um, you know, but, but they are 
uh, they, they, ha they each have their own strengths, but they're interchangeable in the way that they tell the story. And probably the reason why The Conjuring is so popular, where this one is very different than those two films. It stands out big time. And when we get to the spoiler section, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about um, some of the issues I had with the film, which which take place later in the film with more of the reveal going on and stuff like that. So I can I can understand if people are like, yeah, this was not The Conjuring for me. If you're big, big fans of the first or second one, you're in for something different. And that's to me, that's cool. Like I'm I, I'm not a contrarian. I'm really not when it comes to films. I'm like I, I go and see the popular movies usually on the first night. That's kind of how I roll. I just love stuff. Uh, but I also love like indie films and art films and I, and I'm, I, I across the gamut. I love, I love seeing movies of all different types. So, um, it's, I'm not just going, well, I like this one cause it's different than the other ones. It, it, it gave me something I was looking for that I hadn't gotten in the series yet. Um, but I, I still think those other elements are there very much. So I think they're told brilliantly. This is, um, this is still that very much a Warner brothers studio movie. That's kind of what I've now wrapped my head around as I've watched all three Conjuring movies is that this is really very much a studio film. Like I, I, when I'm really looking back and I know Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th were both, you know, told through the studio. In fact, Nightmare on Elm Street was New Line Cinema, which which New Line Cinema produced uh, the Conjuring series. Uh, Paramount produced most of the Friday the 13th. So like these have always been studio films. But I think this one, uh, the Conjuring is truly like produced on the level of studio films, produced on that Indiana Jones level, produced on the Back to the Future level, produced on the, on the bigger scale. Um, they feel very refined. They feel very much like you could sit down with any – you don't have to be a horror fan to sit down and watch this and go, oh, OK, this is a very properly made film, like like taken really seriously. Like it's, it's, it's high-level stuff, and uh, I dig that too. I, mean, I think Damon and I have talked about it on this show a lot. We really dig – high level horror films because they were okay with mass appeal. We're okay with like more people getting into horror films. And I think the conjuring series has kind of hit its stride with this one. It this one feels very much like something that, uh, everybody would be talking about, not just the horror set. Yeah. It's funny because when we started doing the podcast, you know, I, what I learned is I've always been, obviously I've always been a horror fan. I've always loved horror, and I've said a couple of times on this show, you know, certain genres inside horror that I've never been as much of a fan of. Not to say I don't like movies of that set. I just generally didn't like films as much. I, as I've made it clear. I've always been a huge slasher fan. I love Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Friday the 13th. Slashers are kind of my bread and butter. Scream, all those. The slashers are, have always been my favorites. Uh, and, I, and I've said before, you know, the, the, the horror that's so bad, it's comedy, not horror comedy, not, you know, films like <laughs> Zombieland, which I love, but I've said the horror so bad that it's funny. I didn't really, I never really dug that just because I don't really feel like laughing at just truly bad effects. And, and I've said that, you know, haunted house movies were never really my jam. I've enjoyed them. I like Poltergeist, the original, which by the way, I believe was actually released, uh, in 1982 today. Uh, and we're releasing this immediately, so we're not going to be dated here. Uh, this is going to be, I believe it was 1982, the Poltergeist came out. Now, I love that movie. You could call that a haunted house movie. It was a it was a haunted house movie, possession, you know, however you want to say it. That was a scary-ass movie for me when I was a kid. And I do like other haunted house movies, uh, but traditionally, they just haven't drawn my interest as much as other types of horror films. 
what I've discovered as we've been doing this podcast now for, you know, obviously almost a year now, uh, and obviously you know, going on, you know, 50 some odd episodes, whatever it is we've recorded, uh, is that I, I'm learning to, to kind of branch out and enjoy different things. And so part of the reason why the conjuring didn't grab my attention eight years ago is because it was, you know, told to me that it was, you know, a haunted house story. And, basically in the, in and of itself i was like yeah okay i'll see it eventually like it wasn't one i was running to the theater to watch now we're reviewing things i'm running to you know the theater i'm running to hbo max i'm running to shutter hey shutter uh, Hello. I'm running to Shutter. I'm running to all these different services to see these films. Now, I've not liked everything. There's lots of stuff I've been critical about on this show as well, and things that you know I've I've kind of scratched my head out and said I'll never watch that again. But on the flip <laughs> side, I've watched things that I've absolutely fallen in love with that were not in what I would say was my traditional sense of watching a horror film. Coming into this podcast to say, oh wow, I didn't think I'd enjoy that. The Conjuring was one that I didn't hate it for any reason. I just didn't think it would be my jam necessarily the first one was pretty good it wasn't great second one was i enjoyed a lot more it was a lot scarier a lot more tension uh enjoyed it third one again i really enjoyed this film do i have issues which we'll get into in the spoilers in just a second sure uh, but overall, I enjoyed it, and, and it was a different film. It was a different Conjuring film, and I like that they're keeping this franchise fresh, uh, and I like that they're keeping things new, and obviously the Warrens were involved in a lot of cases over the years. I mean, they never, they the one story that they touched on in the second film that they've never done is the Amityville Horror, which obviously has been done you know, kind of to death in a way they've done, you know, full on movies with just that particular story, which the Warrens were involved with, but the Warrens have all kinds of cases they've written about and talked about. So this could go on for years. I don't know if it will, but they've got other cases they could get into, but I like that they chose this one. I liked that it was something different. I liked that they took a different approach to it. And again, I enjoyed uh, that they kind of switched directions and, and gave me something different, which ultimately was something I wanted. Damn Skippy. <laughs> All right. With that being said, we're going to get into spoiler territory now. So as I always say, here's your warning. We are going to get into full spoilers for the rest of the show. So if you haven't seen The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, go watch it right now. It's in theaters everywhere. It's also on HBO Max. If you have HBO Max, you can watch it right now as part of your subscription. So if you don't want spoilers, stop now. Go watch the movie. Come back. Or if you've already seen The Devil Made Me Do It, Obviously, stick around here. We have to say about our favorite parts of the movie uh, and some other criticisms that we couldn't talk about without spoilers. Uh, also, again, if you just don't care and you just want to hear what we have to say about The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, please stick around. So here we go. Patrick, first and foremost, as we do each and every week here on Rewind of the Living Dead, we're going to talk about best performance. So The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. What was the best performance? Oh, you know, I got to sink my teeth into this one. The very great character actor John Noble as Castner, the former priest who uh, who is sort of the mentor to the Warrens in this in this instance. Um, you know what the Warrens discover is that um, there is a satanic group that has put a curse on uh, on Arnie, the guy who has who who has killed. Uh, um, uh, the, his landlord, uh, or they put a curse on the house and it infected his, uh, his fiance's little brother. And then he takes, he takes the curse over and all that good stuff. But, uh, John Noble, his character kind of helps them out, helps them understand, um, 
the 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 people behind all this and that's the that's the cool part of the movie is you're like oh this isn't like there is a ghost there is a demonic factor to this but there's there's people like pulling the strings trying to trying to get the demon to you know to take over or, or offer up a sacrifice for whatever sort of unholy thing they're doing i dig that stuff man and so uh and 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 on the best performance uh topic uh, the character of Kastner to me just felt like this very classic, classic horror film character, the the half man, the one who's seen it all. And uh, and John Noble's just a really, really great actor. He's he's been in a ton of things and he's really he's got a great look to him. He's got a great voice. And uh, and he, he comes in there and he really steals every scene he's in. He's just is very foreboding and, and, and creepy and interesting. I mean, it just harkens back to every classic half man that you've seen in any horror film. Yeah, so, you know, he's, I mean, listen, I'm a John Noble fan. Let me say that first and foremost. Obviously, he's been around uh, for a long time. You know, he's a great character actor. He's been in a lot of different movies and TV shows over the years now. While a lot of people, uh, you know, obviously, I me mean, personally, like, I I have loved him in a lot of different things. Uh, what a lot of people know him from is Fringe. That was a show that was on Fox for many years. I watched a little bit of The Fringe. Uh, of the fringe of fringe i didn't stick with it i hear it's great everyone that watches it there there's people who's full-on obsessed with so i get it but i actually kind of fell in love with john noble when he was on the the fox series sleepy hollow uh the first okay. season in particular uh it's the ichabod trust me when i say it, it's the ichabod crane being reborn in modern day and it sounds so ridiculous when i heard about it i was like this has got to be <laughs> just stupid as shit watched it watched it and i was like damn this is it was very like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like it was actually really good. Like I was shocked, and uh, and John Noble plays a major part in the first couple of seasons, and he's fantastic, man. He's creepy. He's 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 foreboding. He's I mean, again, his voice is classic. Uh, he's great, and so that's where I kind of became a fan of him. He just popped up in The Boys season two in a completely different role in that movie, uh, so that was interesting as well. He was fantastic in this movie, and generally speaking, Patrick, when we talk about best performance, I always try to go in a different direction so we give kind of you know shine in, in in two different ways on a film i will say that i think patrick wilson really did step up in this film because yeah his his character of ed warren had to take on a lot more in this film because early in the movie as we are in spoiler territory he has a heart attack and so he's in the hospital he's coming out of that he's recovering and he's still doing this investigation into this murder and he's not at He's not, he's not himself. He's not a hundred percent health and he has to do a lot more, you know, thematically heavy lifting in this movie. So I thought Patrick Wilson did a fantastic job. Obviously Vera Farmiga is always awesome. I think I gave her best performance, you know, either in both the other movies or whatever. But as I said, we always try to pick different. I'm not going to pick different this time because John Noble really was fantastic. And again, I'm saying this because we're on our third film. So Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga goes without saying they were both fantastic. They know they're characters they play the warns really well and they have phenomenal chemistry let me say that they also have phenomenal yeah. chemistry so they're 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 great they're always going to be great i'd be shocked if they made 10 more of these movies and they're not still great okay so let me just say that going in that being said it's john noble man the guy is so good he just sets the scene he is so damn good at setting a scene and, and it's all exposition it's all exposition. He's not sitting there throwing crosses at you and, you know, flicking holy water in this movie. No. He is talking. He is telling you. He is narrative. And it's so damn good. 
Oh, man. You know what it kind of reminds me of? Um, and I'm going to forget his name right now, so forgive me. But it was the great character actor in The Fog who played the priest. Um, uh, you know, he sat there. And Hal Holbrook. Really, Hal Holbrook. Was that? Hal, Hal Holbrook, Holbrook, yes. Yeah. So he sat there in The Fog and and read from the book. That was kind of his job in the movie. Yeah. But he was so good. And I mean, I think he was my best performance in that movie. It, there's something about characters like that and their job their job is to link things together to actually like you know take the take the the a and the c and connect them with the b and um and john noble does that in this film man and it's funny you mentioned patrick wilson he was like my early pick for best performance because he you know he has a heart attack from the from the possession the the, the, the devilish little child's like i'm gonna rip your arm to stop your heart old man or something like that it was crazy it was, <laughs> it was like a cool scene and then from then on like patrick wilson's kind of like hobbling around and you're like oh my god is this man gonna, he's gonna keel over any moment and like there was there was that there was that worry there but when john noble would come and he would just eat the scenery up and and in the best way possible. And, uh, and, and it just harkened back to stuff like that. Like, like Hal Holbrook from the fog. And I was just like, damn, man, that's some classical shit. Like something when, you know, when you can merge, you know, uh, you and I come from the 1980s, 1990s era of horror, but we were also watching films from like the 1970s and stuff like that. 1960s that came in all these great character actors that lent themselves to the atmosphere of the film. That's exactly what John Noble's Kastner does in this film. Absolutely. He's fantastic. And I'll, I'll say this ahead of time. I'm sure they're going to do more conjuring movies. I don't know how many more they're going to do, but when we get to the conjuring four and the conjuring five, assuming that, you know, both Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga are back. Uh, chances are they're both going to get amazing performances, but I'm probably going to pick someone else just because, you know, again, I feel like you kind of repeat yourself by picking the two lead actors yeah. because they are fantastic and they are, they're absolutely fantastic. Uh, but that being said, I think, you know, John Noble really does steal. He steals every minute he's in this movie and he, and he's only in two scenes really. I mean, he's only in two critical scenes, but they're two yeah. very important scenes and he's fantastic. So yeah, John Noble, again, same thing as you, you know, I, I, I'll give a huge credit to Patrick Wilson for really upping the ante with his performance. Cause he had to, and he did a great job and I'm a big Patrick Wilson fan regardless. Oh yeah. Uh, but that being said, uh, I thought John Noble did a great job. So uh, there you go. All right. Now this is a new category and this is a fun one. I like that you added this one, Patrick, uh, best performance by a ghoul. And this is interesting <laughs> because this is not one specific kind of monster in this movie. It is not just one. It's not the nun coming at you or, or Bill, uh, William, whatever his name was. <laughs> it's not one specific ghost coming at you. It's kind of like different things coming at you throughout the entire movie. So what was your best performance by a ghoul? I was rather blown away by um, young David, who who could have, he could have stolen my best performance, actually. This kid, uh, Julian Hilliard, um, when he was possessed, they opened the movie up with like the the Warrens trying to uh, you know make this possession uh, a success. Uh, his his the 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 demon takes him over, and the pre he pretzels himself up. I mean, like the 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 body the body movements are crazy. I'm pretty sure it was CG. I mean, the, the shit that was going on looked impossible, but it was so crazy. It was such a crazy. Uh, 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 f like sight to see. I was like, damn, this is awesome. And it's like one of the first things you see in the movie. So I was like, well, I'm sure it's going to get better than this. And there were other cool moments for sure. But that one was so, it was so impressive to me. Just the crazy body movement going on with that with when the ghoul was inside little David. 
Yeah, that was a really good one. <laughs> they, they did twist that kid up, man. Something fierce. Oh, I mean, God. that was. And you know what's funny is, you know, possessions. When you're when you're dealing with demonic possessions and exorcisms, you know, like I said, they're always going to try to up the ante. They're going to have you, you know, twisting and turning. You know, everything everything kind of you know centers around you know the original exorcist. When you think about Reagan in the bed, the bed levitating, her head twisting around, the the pea soup, and all that kind of stuff. And so every movie since then has kind of tried to imitate or exceed what the exorcist did now that being said i think the exorcist is one of the greatest films of all time so i don't know that you never need to try to you know succeed that movie uh but i understand why you do it but i really enjoyed what they did with that poor kid man they twisted him around and they had him i mean like i said he was a scary little bastard uh jumping yeah. around and twisted and like i said when he jumped on top of Patrick wilson <laughs> He caused them to have a heart attack. I was like, damn, they really yeah. have the ante with that one. So, yeah, I was very impressed by that. That was a good, uh, that was a good performance by a ghoul. Uh, my best performance by a ghoul, and kind of playing off of that as well, uh, was shortly thereafter when we actually saw uh, we actually saw Arnie get possessed by the demon, uh, Rory O'Connell, excuse me, Rory O'Connor is his name. He's an Irish actor. Uh, and, uh, when we see him kind of devolve into the, kind of descend into the, the possession of the demon, when he kind of, he's sick at work and he's kind of seeing visions a little bit. And then when he gets home and his, uh, his weird landlord, the owner of the kennels asks him to fix the stereo. And I've never seen Blondie somehow serve as the soundtrack <laughs> to a terrifying scene, but watching his transformation into and, and you don't really it's not transformation in, in the traditional sense where you're seeing him just kind of like you know become a demon where you know becomes this guy he's seeing visions he's seeing visions of demons but i thought that transformation was really cool when you see it through his eyes of what he's seeing you see how he kind of goes in this like fever dream and i think it was yeah. a really good performance and that was my favorite ghoul even though he wasn't he was a ghoul but it was it was a yeah. different kind of ghoul no, he, he he was, for sure, in, in that moment. That was a really cool scene overall. And perspective, that's interesting. I think this movie does that really well. Even uh, Vera Farmiga's, Farmiga's character, Lorraine, does a perspective thing. Like, we get into her brain and see her, like, go into the minds of the killers and all that stuff. It's really cool. Perspective is a, is a great element that is that uh, a thematic element that is used often in this movie. And that, and that moment with Arnie's character is uh, one great example of that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to best line. Uh, as always, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of best line. I, I love dialogue, so I'm always a big fan of best line. So, uh, Patrick, what is your best line? Because you stole mine. Uh, I, I did I did pick another one eventually, but I so as I again for people who maybe don't listen every single week, I, I you know, we we basically the way this works is I take care of the technical stuff. Patrick usually watches the movies first. He sends me the categories, and I kind of play off of those. So he sends me his picks, and then I. I get my picks and we do, we do differ on things a lot of times, but there have been times where I literally call him before the show and I'll say, get out of my brain because <laughs> not only was John Noble, my best performance, literally this was the line that I was like, are you kidding me? We yeah. had the same exact line. So I did pick another line, but I'll warn you ahead of time. Both of these lines are John Noble. Uh, so Patrick set up your line for best line from the conjuring. The devil made me do it. So the Warrens are led to uh, Kastner, who is a former priest who kind of dealt with the occult in the in the in the area. So they go to him for some understanding of this totem that they found. And when he find when he sees the totem that they found, he's like, oh, shit, you guys are screwed because this is a uh, this is a cult. This is a this is a this is a high witch practicing high magic, tr you know, going for the Dark Lord himself like like 
like you're in trouble. And uh, and they ask him, you know, why is she doing this? And his answer is just it floors you. It's so good. Here we go. What I don't understand is 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 why David, the little boy was possessed. He didn't, didn't do anything wrong. Why would someone target this family? Why? The why is irrelevant. The why is counter to everything that the Satanist stands for. His sole aim is chaos. His nectar is despair. <laughs> God, that's so <laughs> dumb. His sole aim is chaos. His nectar is despair. God, I mean, is, come on. That is so freaking metal. Matt, man, 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 man. Like, I was just like, that is like, if I ever make a metal band, which I never will, but if I ever do, that is going to be the, the name of our album. You know, what is it? Chaos is, uh, what is it? Chaos, the, the, the despair is his, is his nectar. Despair <laughs> like, is his nectar. Yeah, it's just. Like, oh. God. Despair is nectar. That's going to be the name of our album. Like that is so badass. <laughs> and is... what's and what's great about that is is that in that moment, in that ex, in that little piece of brilliant expository dialogue, um, you understand the stakes of the movie. And what I re- what really drew me to is not just that it was metal as fuck because it was, <laughs> but it, I realized in that moment, and I love this when this when this happens in horror films when they go. Don't you worry about why, because you're never going to get to the root of it. It's pure evil. Like you're not, there's no way to rationalize it. So you're not going to win the rational, the, the rationale game. And I love that because it, it turns the stakes way, way up because you, you, you have no choice but to just fight it. Like that's all, that's all you can do. You're not going to be able to uh, unlock that puzzle. You have to fight it and beat it. Yeah. The motive it's obviously a, you know, a huge part of murder mysteries and the motive behind things, why they happen. I understand that. That's a huge part of it. When you're dealing with something like this, where it's just pure evil, or when you're dealing with like, you know, obviously like a, you know, a, a pure on psychopath, uh, yeah. you're not going to understand why they're doing it. And you have to let that go and, and kind of move on from that and, and move on from the why. And that's tough. As I said, a big part of my job as a, you know, a journalist is asking why. Uh, so when you don't get that answer, it can be a little scary. And so that, like that scene, oh my God, that line when yeah. he says that, despair is the nectar. It's like, oh, metal. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's so good. <laughs> it's, it's right up there with Michael Caine in The Dark Knight saying he, you know, he just wanted to watch the world burn. Yeah, exactly. It's that dude. same kind of vibe. And Matt, I was like, Matt, damn, Matt, 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 It's full on metal, dude. Full on metal. All right. So my best line comes late in the movie after uh, you know Lorraine Warren has started to put the pieces together and she goes back to Castor for a few more answers, not knowing that he's going to give her the full-on answer of what exactly has been happening this entire time. So they're back in his basement of doom, more or less, where he's kept all these tokens and all these artifacts from this investigation he's been doing for years into this cult. And this is when he finally reveals, spoilers, that his daughter is the witch who's been casting these curses on these families and causing this demon to come for them. And his reason is, is both terrifying and, and kind of sad. Uh, so let's hear Castor, uh, re- let's hear Castor reveal that here. I continued my studies into the occult. I wanted to protect her from all this. But instead I created a fascination. We must be careful 
how our obsessions are passed to our children. I love that line. We must be careful about how our how our uh, how our obsessions are passed to our children because sadly, and I don't mean to turn this into a political debate, but sadly, that happens so much in the world today. What you believe gets passed down to your children, yeah. uh, and it's true. Uh, and it's it's sad because again, that's I think you know, that's why we, there's still so much hate in the world or racism or things like that. It's not because uh, you know it's because it gets passed down. It gets passed down from generation to generation. And it's really sad, uh, and that's true. That uh, it, we have to be careful how our obsessions are passed down to our children. I thought that was a powerful line. It's a great line. It really was. And uh, and it you know he's doing this uh, this this particular scene with Lorraine and Vera Farmiga's you know reaction to all that so great. It's a really power rather powerful moment in the movie. But Damon, th- this is where I actually have issues with the movie. Didn't you find it just a little too convenient that 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 the 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 High Witch is his daughter? Well, yes and no. I, 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 yeah, no, because it brought us back to Castor, and I like that they kind of circled back around to him, and he played a larger part in the in the culmination of the movie. Uh, and I think that was interesting because again, I actually, when they first went back to his house, I actually thought it was going to be him. They had been investigating, I did, they investigated a witch the entire time. And I thought maybe that was like a, you know, some sort of, you know, some sort of part of the, the magic he was casting is that, you know, he was being seen as a woman, but in reality it was him. He was the one who got obsessed with the cult. He was the one who kind of transformed into a witch himself. And I thought that was actually going to be interesting. So the fact that it was his daughter was a little it was a little off putting. I think it would have been better and here's my rewrite of the Living Dead. I think it would have been better is if they actually introduced his daughter when they went to see him. Like maybe his daughter answers the door and says, My my dad's tired or you know, he right. doesn't really accept guests or whatever. Uh, and you don't really see you know, you see her, but you don't you know, she doesn't look evil or anything. She just looks like his daughter. Uh, and then, you know, they introduce him, you know, they int- she introduces them to, to her father. And obviously throughout this entire movie, you see the witch, you see the one casting the spell, you see her face, they're kind of shrouded a little bit, but you always do see her. And I think it would have been interesting to have that completely hidden and then finally revealed that it was actually his daughter. I think that would have been a little bit better. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think that there, there needed to be a better way to introducer it just all seemed to out of fall into place a little in a kind of a clunky way and then the second problem i have with her being revealed as as the well not it's not really a problem necessarily that she's castner's daughter but at this point like when she's dealing in this high magic it's almost like she almost has like superpowers which is kind of weird yeah and and i that was the part of the movie that turned me off the most Cause I was like, oh, she's got like, she's like, she's magical. She can make you see that she's somewhere else. And in turn, she's over here. Now, granted, she is a witch and witches are supposed to do something really extraordinary. So she is, but it may, it, it almost seemed like she would be way too powerful. If she can do this, she's way too powerful for any of these people to stand up against. And yet they did. 
Um, so that was kind of the the one problem I think I had with the movie. Yeah, they they did they kind of they kind of traveled down the supernatural road a little bit more in this movie. But you know, here's the thing: I, I don't I don't necessarily have a problem with it as long as they don't go too far. What I mean by that is I don't want to suddenly turn into a witch battle between you know the bad right. the bad person and, and and Lorraine Warren is suddenly like levitating in the air and they're, they're fighting <laughs> the witch fight like, from Willow. Yeah, and it's like yeah, it's like a full on like Harry Potter battle or something. I don't want that. And it didn't go that far. It was a lot of like, you know, a lot of like mind games really is what was going on. And I agree. They did, they did, but they did dip their toe a little too deep in that water for my, for my, you know, for my liking. But that being said, they were also going into a much different direction. Instead of dealing with a ghost, they were still dealing with demons, but they were dealing with a, a, a demon that had been conjured by a witch. And again, we hadn't really seen witches in this world. And listen, if, if, Lorraine Warren is a clairvoyant, which, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get into like the, whether I believe it's real or not. I don't, uh, but like, you know, she's a clairvoyant. She can see things and she kind of dips into like, you know, these dark, you know, she can feel what they feel and see what they see. Then we're not that far a step away from a witch being able to do equal or maybe even more evil shit. So I have to kind of like balance my own. Like, I agree with you a hundred percent. That kind of went a little bit. I was like, Oh, that's a little bit too much. Yeah. But again, I can't really fault it too much when you have the other side when Lorraine is, you know, touching a dead person and suddenly traveled back in time and you know, she's seeing <laughs> yeah. through their eyes. You're already kind of you're already kind of suspending disbelief right there. Yeah, I mean, listen, they, they took a few more liberties in this film than I think they have in the past in the past few in the past two, which is weird because in the past two, like there's people levitating and there's demons in the walls and shit like that. Like, like believe me, it gets crazy. It's weird to say it's a step too far. It's just like a slight step too far. And I, and I do think it was like the whole like like magical powers thing yeah. that, that got me. That, that was the biggest thing, like even the Lorraine stuff. I, I say, oh, okay, what they're doing is they're showing, like, her visions. Like, this is how it how it all plays out in her mind. And I was like, okay, they're, they're just making it visually interesting for us, and that's fine. Um, but when it got to the actual witch herself, I was like, oh, yeah, this is, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, she, she's got, like, superpowers. It's kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I would say Lorraine even, like, touching a dead person's hand, and suddenly she's, like, in their position seeing what they saw. I'm like, all right, this is we're going a little bit far here now with her powers. Like, come on now. Like, you know, I understand she's like a clairvoyant, but you know, we, let's slow down a little bit. I thought clairvoyance was like, you know, you see like, you know, you get a sense of what's going on. Not you're literally living in their shoes. Uh, you know, but like I said, again, you know, it's a touch much, but did it ruin the movie or did it, you know, did it blow anything out of the water yeah. for me? No. I mean, like I said, it's kind of a natural progression. I, I hope they don't eventually go to the point where they're making a super Freddy like they did in Never Elm Street or something <laughs> like that. But, you know, like I said, as long as you know, it's not as long as it's not super Lorraine against super witch, I'm OK with going where they went with this movie. As long as it doesn't as long as we don't keep escalating it, uh, then I'm OK with the. If, if this is the if this is as far as we go, I'm okay with this. Would you have been interested in the witch having followers? Because it's basically her all doing this all by herself. Yeah, the cult. It's interesting because they do. Well, here's the thing: they open the door for that cult to come back. You know what I mean? Which is interesting. I think that would be interesting in the future. Now, I don't know if they will because obviously yeah. these are these are stories based on 
the the Warren's true case file, so we don't know if this is like a reintroduction. We're going to see this this cult again. But yeah, I think it would have been interesting for her to have followers and and uh, and actually you know be a little bit more powerful because I, I know and again I'm not a witchcraft expert or anything, but I know you know typically you know they they kind of gain power in groups and things like that. So I think that would have been interesting to see that kind of an aspect. But cool, cool, cool name too, the Disciples of the Ram. Yeah. That's probably the title of the spinoff. Yeah, yeah, they're disciples of the Ram. There's your mint, 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 mint. Yeah, there's our, there's, a, there's the name of our uh, band right yeah, there. Yeah, disciples of the Ram. Yeah, exactly. And our first album is Despair is our Nectar. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so metal. All right, let's talk about best scare. Uh, again, I said there's less traditional scares in this movie, but there are definitely still scares. So, Patrick, what was your best scare in The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It? Well, when Arnie is starting to have his visions, and this is what leads to him murdering his landlord, um, you know, there's this one great moment where, like, you know, the 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 scene around him is sort of heightening to the to the point of like hysteria, and you're like, oh man, like he's really losing his mind, right? And then it all goes super quiet, which is great, you know, like that's that's always great to go from such a heightened, uh, you know, uh, uh, sensory experience to like silence, and he's looking at this black corridor, and you know what, you know what that means. Something's going to scare you. And as Damon has said here before, sometimes the anticipation of what you know is coming is what makes the scare work. And when he's staring into that darkness out of nowhere, Bruno, who's his landlord, kind of uh, rushes out at him and, and sort of look is like a dog faced ghoul and like rushes at him and all that stuff. It was just a really good jump scare with that anticipation factor in there. I thought it was it, or I would say it was my favorite scare in the whole film. Yeah, that was a good one. That was definitely a good one. And that whole sequence, as I said earlier about my best performance from a ghoul, it was a good sequence to lead into that murder. I thought it was a very well well done scene and, and, and again, creepy and effective. You know what I mean? Effective in the yeah. way they did that. Uh, my favorite scare, my best scare, was kind of a combination. I know I'm cheating a little bit here, but it was just well done, was when – uh, when Lorraine and Ed go to the house to investigate, they're looking for a reason, you know, where this all could, they're, they're investigating where this all started. And so Lorraine is crawling under the house trying to find, <laughs> she, they, they, they lift up a, you know, they lift up a rug and they see this like black, you know, material in the wood and they realize like, this isn't, this isn't rotted wood. This is something is rotting the wood. Something evil is like tearing away at the wood. And so she's crawling under the house to find out what's under there. And this is also kind of simultaneously happened with a, with a scene from the past, which is when the little boy who gets possessed and we see this in the trailer, when he's on the waterbed and you see the demon's face pop up in the waterbed. Now I understand they got to give away a couple good scares in the trailer. That's kind of traditional with horror films, but that definitely was one of the better scares, the demon's face in the waterbed. And then what you don't see in the trailer, what actually happens after that is the demon literally coming out and grabbing the little boy and scaring the living shit out of him. Uh, <laughs> and then at the same time going under the house and that's when Lorraine crawling through a pile of rats, no less, by the way, uh, kind of peels off these layers and finds the totem under the, under the house that's cursed this family. So it was kind of a combination of those two scenes together. I thought they worked really, really well with the little boy, you know, getting grabbed by the ghost, by the demon in the waterbed, which again was kind of teased in the trailer. But I enjoyed the way they played that out with the little boy screaming and freaking out. And again, plays into the beginning of the movie. And then I, I love the creepy factor of Lorraine, you know, literally crawling under the house pulling apart those plastic sheets, pulling back the layers, and she finds that totem. Uh, and that's a creepy-ass totem. Again, very true detective kind of totem. And so yeah. that's kind of like my combination of best scare. 
Yeah, that's a fair one. Totally. I mean, uh, I actually thought when she was down there under the house, the first little rat that kind of runs across and gives you that jump scare. I was like, that's a pretty good scare. Actually. <laughs> that was that actually was. And the entire time my girlfriend's like, nope, nope. Because like rats are down there. She's like, nope, not doing this. Nope, not not at all. Not liking this. <laughs> There's a lot of rats down there. There's a lot of rats down there. Yeah. So that was, yeah. If, you, if you've never actually seen a rat in person and I have, uh, they yeah. are terrifying. So yeah, you, you'd be good to avoid them. There should just be a New York rat horror film because the, the rats in New York City are I'm just they're cat sized. And that's yeah. the small ones. They are, as they say, and I think it's Ghostbusters too. they're biggest beavers. They are huge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, they really are. It, it's shocking the size of the rats. In yeah, New York City. they're terrifying. It literally is terrifying. All right. Uh, best gore. Now, overall, The Conjuring is not really a gory series, to be honest. Uh, but there is some blood and guts in this movie. So what was your best gore in this movie? Uh, I had to go with the autopsy ghoul. Lots of ghouls, remember, in this film. Um, they're they're in the uh, they're in the coroner's office and they're 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 doing some investigating of their own. Uh, where Lorraine puts her hand on the dead body to try and discover how things happened using her superpowers right there. Um, <laughs> and they conjure an autopsy ghoul. So there's this ghoul. There's another guy and they're all cut up and stuff. And he kind of gets up and he tries to attack them. And I was like, hey, you know, that's actually pretty decent gore. Uh, you know, it's it's really it's just a ghoul is, is really what it is. But, uh, you know, he's rather decayed and rather rough looking so i was like yeah i'll get I'll, I'll put some gore in this one I, sometimes i leave it out but in this case i i gave it to him yeah the autopsy ghoul did a good job again a little bit too much superpower in that sequence but uh but still nonetheless it was definitely creepy and uh and definitely some good you know definitely some good you definitely good use of a dead body in there uh so that was well done uh for me best gore was early in the film after arnie kills the landlord and it's a scene you've seen in the trailer when he's walking along the road uh, and he turns around, the cop sees him turn around. He's got blood all over his clothes and his hands. Yeah. And he's like, I think I hurt somebody again. I know it's in the trailer. And uh, I, 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 I love and hate trailers. I love trailers because, I listen, there's there, there's no greater feeling than going to a movie and seeing a really awesome trailer. I remember the first time I saw the trailer for, like, Avengers Infinity War. And I'm, I was hugely <laughs> invested in the Marvel series. I had the Infinity Gauntlet tattooed on my hand, okay? So, obviously, I'm a huge Marvel fan. Uh, and when that trailer dropped, you hear Thanos talking. Oh, my God, I had chills just running up my spine. So I love a good trailer. On the downside, though, is a lot of times they give away good parts of the movie in a trailer. And in this case, they did. When, when Arnie turns around, he's just covered in blood. Like, literally, his forearms down, his yeah. shirt covered in blood. He says, I think I hurt somebody. I love that. It's, it's very effective. They don't overdo the blood. It's not like he's you know, literally buckets of blood over him or anything crazy, like Carrie style. It's just, a, you know, front of his shirt's covered, his hands and his forearms are all covered, and he's kind of shaking. And I just, I thought that was a really effective use of the blood in that scene in this movie. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the Conjuring movie's not known for their gore, but this would be the goriest of the three. Yeah, it would be. It would be. All right. So as we do each and every week here on the show, we're going to close out with the most important category. We are a horror movie podcast. So we want to know, is the film scary or not? So ultimately, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Patrick, is it scary? You know, um, I, mean, I think we talked about very in, in the early part of the podcast, the the sense of the unknown, the added mystery element for me made it that kind of scary. The unknown. I didn't know a lot. I, I Most of this movie was a mystery. Most of this movie had me leaning forward, which, by the way, in a scary movie, if I'm leaning forward and a ghoul jumps out at me, 
you're probably going to scare me. It's probably, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to have me leaning forward and going, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? So that anticipation factor gets a big yes from me. But on, on like a joking, not so joking note, you know, Patrick Wilson and the his character Ed in the very beginning that 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 demonic uh, kid is like, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to stop your heart, old man, and gives him the heart attack. So for the rest of the movie. He's like on death's door and he has to perform a lot. Like he's very much like they're very much in peril throughout the movie. So I was like tense the whole movie going, please don't let Ed die. Now I'm invested in Ed. I don't <laughs> want him to die. So like I had this like that, that double that double whammy of like, you know, mystery and like anxiety that Ed Warren was going to die. Yeah, that was it was and also it was interesting because Ed has been such kind of a physical presence in these movies and they kind of took that away from him in, in this movie. He had to kind of take a back seat in that way and it was it was interesting. It was an interesting twist and I like that. And um, and they didn't just take it away like by, by making him like, you know, uh being across the country or something like that. Like he wanted he's trying to be in the thick of it, but he can't be and you can see the struggle in his body and you realize like there's a whole element with like he needs his pills and he keeps forgetting to take him and it could kill him so like there's there's tension in that yeah so i will say as i said earlier this is in my opinion the least scary of the conjuring films in the traditional sense of scary there's not a lot of jump scares there's not right. a lot of of oh god like that kind of thing like there was a there was a couple moments of the conjuring too which we haven't reviewed yet and i feel like we're gonna have to at some point here in the somewhat near future where i was like oh shit like there was a couple a couple <laughs> of scares of the Conjuring. man that nun really was creepy as shit she's good uh, so that that was so conjuring 2 got me conjuring 2 is is in my opinion the scariest of the three uh that being said this was scary in a different way as i said it's scary in the way that true detective was scary it was true detective terrifying in the way that like i was you know i was jumping out of my seat and freaking out no but it, that was a that was a show that when certain episodes were over i was uncomfortable i did not want to turn the lights out i did not want to like think about what just happened because it was damn creepy now i wouldn't say this film went that far they didn't quite go as deep and terrifying as some of the things that happened in true detective but there was that vibe that investigation vibe where you don't know quite what you're going to get into you don't know what's lurking around the corner but not in the they're going to jump out and scare you just you don't know who it is what it is why they're coming uh, and again, we talk about the great line from early in the movie when he says, why doesn't matter. That's even scarier uh, yeah. because you're not dealing with somebody who's just like, this isn't revenge. This isn't Arnie stopped dating this girl and she's seeking to you know, kill him because he's now dating somebody else. Like that's such a basic, stupid plot. But you know what I'm saying? Like that's, <laughs> that would be something that you'd say, at least I understand that this, you don't understand. You don't know why this woman picked these people and that's terrible terrifying uh and so in that regard yes so traditional sense scary no terrifying in a in a kind of a creepy underlying tension not knowing what's not knowing exactly what's happening or who's doing it yes so i know that's kind of a long way of going around saying is it scary or not but uh as i said i feel like when it's all said and done this is going to be the most polarizing of the conjuring movies because i think there's going to be a lot of people who agree with us saying this was different it was interesting the investigation was fun the you know the, the spending a lot of time with the warrens was great like they're gonna love it and then there's gonna be other people who are saying i wanted the haunted house i wanted the demon in the haunted house house i missed that so when i say it's scary it's scary in a way that i enjoy scary i enjoy creepy right. i enjoy that kind of terror uh i don't necessarily need to be jumping out of my seat to be scared 
uh, while I do enjoy those films. So yeah, I would say it's scary in that way. But if you're looking at a film that's going to make you, you know, jump and your popcorn's going to get spilled everywhere, no, it's not that movie. It's not. It doesn't. It doesn't have the nun in it, and the nun was terrifying, and not just because I was raised Catholic. Uh, a Bonnie Aaron's is her name, by the way, who plays the nun, and I mean, phenomenal, phenomenal ghoul, um, and I think a ghoul like that's kind of jumped into icon status like pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, like I knew about the nun before I even watched The Conjuring Two. That's that's how like effective the nun is. So you don't get that in this movie, but you get uh, you get a really cool mystery vibe a really cool i love the satan angle i'm all like i'm a sucker for satanic stuff and like this movie has it in spades so like yeah i was into it man different stuff but i was way into it i think it's pretty clear patrick the despair is our nectar uh, oh, despair is my nectar. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> wish I had a voice like John Noble. Gee, I, I would do way more podcasts than, than the ones we're already doing if You're I sounded like John Noble. So metal, dude. Matt, man, a minute, minute, Matt, man, a minute. All right, folks, we're going to get out of here. Obviously, want to say a big thank you to everyone that tunes in each and every week here to Rewind of the Living Dead. Uh, obviously, check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. And if you're ever looking for the show, you can always find it over on my website website nerdcoremovement.com if you have questions comments movies you want us to review please hit us up on twitter you can find me at damon martin and you are at director patrick and now that we've gotten through these four weeks in a row of movies obviously we're going to have more films coming out this summer that we're going to be reviewing new films but i think we're going to get into some more classics as well because we've had this great streak of four weeks in a row of new movies and obviously summertime is a big time for releases so we will definitely have more new movies coming we've already talked about a couple that are coming out that we want to review uh, i mentioned fried berry was one that uh, the producer hit me up and i, I absolutely want to review that that's on shutter hey shutter uh, so yeah so we'll be doing both so as we've always done but this has been a fun run of four weeks in a row it's been fun to be back in the theater man although i will say i didn't actually see this in the theater i saw it at home uh because it was on hbo max so uh yeah hey, so. hey hbo max <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, all right folks we're gonna get out of here want to say a big thank you each and every week for you tuning in we do appreciate it we will see you next week for another edition of rewind of the living dead thanks for tuning in we'll see you then peace